Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So here we are, our first episode from our new apartment. This is all very exciting. And very new. We've now slept three nights here? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I have to say, we made sandwiches yesterday, and it's starting to feel like home. Yeah. Whenever you make a sandwich, it always helps establish a feeling of, <laughs> I'm home. I have a sandwich. How much more homey can that be? Right. I know this is where my jalapeno mustard goes. This is home. It just makes sense. And the people here have been great. Uh, The maintenance guy. James. James has been just amazing, although he has a hard time remembering my name. Um, We talked to him at great length the other day, Mm -hmm. and then I run into him in the elevator. And uh, I said, hey, you know, it's Jethro. Um, He goes, are you moving in or moving out? And I'm like, no, we we moved in, uh, you know, apartment 415. And he's like, oh, age difference. So apparently that's what we're becoming known as here in this apartment complex is the the age age difference difference couple. couple. Well, it's better than like smells weird couple. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, So far we haven't encountered them, but it's only a matter of time. (laughs) And to commemorate our very first episode, not in Maine, I thought I would do a Maine based story. A tribute, a tribute, if you will. Very nice. To um, our former home. Uh, You've heard us mention a number of times on the podcast that up until recently, we lived in Bangor, Maine for many, 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 many years. And uh, we've had a few encounters with Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your dad actually picked him up hitchhiking. He did. This is the kind of guy Stephen King is. He just (laughs) hitchhikes. At least the guy that he was 20 years ago. Sure, maybe. Well, even then, he was pretty well to do. Um, I, I ran into him at the bank and had a really nice conversation with him. Although, you know, running into Stephen King at a bank, odds of that are pretty high. But he owns a couple of radio stations in Bangor. That's right. And you and I both have many friends who have either worked directly for him or worked for his company. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, for a lot of years, I think he's owned the radio stations for 30 years, something like that. Oh, yeah. And I have a lot of friends that uh, have stories about Stephen King. And uh, some of them are really pretty interesting. For example, one of my former co-workers lived in the Augusta area, mm-hmm. Augusta, Maine, the state's capital. But he worked in Bangor. And um, he was telling Stephen King that uh, in his hometown in Augusta, there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken, a small KFC location. And I'm pretty sure it's Kitchen Fresh Chicken, whatever, Yeah, whatever the they're calling it these days. <laughs> It was right next to a funeral home. Okay. And when things got really busy at the KFC, they would borrow chairs from the funeral home. Oh. They would actually seat people in funeral home chairs at the KFC. And Stephen King told this guy, that's where I get my ideas. (laughs) Stuff like that. Haunted chairs at a KFC. (laughs) And so I thought that was kind of an interesting insight to Stephen King's writing process. And did you know... That his novel, Christine, was written that way. About a KFC? Not about a KFC. It was based on a true story. What? In Maine. No. Now, back in 1983, Stephen King wrote the horror novel, Christine. It was released as a film directed by John uh, Carpenter in that same year. Uh, It's hard to believe it's coming up on the 40th anniversary of uh, Christine. Uh, But I didn't realize this. He based the story on real events that took place in the state of Maine. I don't understand how that's possible. Isn't Christine the one about the haunted car? Yep. So... So these are true events that happened in Maine that, um, well, at least they're presented as true. Oh, okay. Please continue. Specifically, the Old Orchard Beach area. Oh, I'll be! They talk about this a lot. It borders on urban legend, but a lot of the story can be backed up with cold, hard facts. It's a story of a haunted car, a 1964 Dodge Golden Eagle. Many have said this car is uh, possessed by demonic forces, or was, and there's a history that might bear that out. The story goes like this. The Golden Eagle was a 1964 Dodge 330 Limited Edition. Um, It was purchased in late 1963 by the Old Orchard Beach Police Force, and it served as a police cruiser for several years. And it was driven over the years by three different police officers. Well, more than that, but three specific police officers most of the time. Okay. The first officer that drove the Golden Eagle, according to the stories that are still circulating in Old Orchard Beach, he began to show signs of a personality change. His co-workers claimed that, uh, you know, he was usually a pretty cheerful guy, a pleasant disposition. He began to sour. He started uh, keeping to himself more and more, and uh, he always seemed agitated and confused. And this happened after he started driving the car? Yes. One night after a long shift, he went home and killed his whole family and then turned the gun on himself. Sounds like mold. Over the next couple of years, the car was driven by a couple of different police officers. And pretty soon, people started to notice changes in their personalities. Unbelievably, uh, it's claimed that a second officer shot his wife and then turned the gun on himself. Two murder-suicides. Two guys both driving this particular car. And then a third officer was also involved in a murder-suicide So after this nasty turn of events, the Old Orchard uh, Police Department, uh, the the cops, they refused to drive the car. Well, I guess I don't blame them. Yeah. And so the car sat in the parking lot for several months unused. 
And did it haunt the parking lot? No, I think it was just abandoned out there. No one would drive it. Nothing bad happened while it was not being driven. Okay. But since it wasn't being driven, the uh, Old Orchard Beach Police Department decided to sell the car at auction. And it was sold to the Allen family. And it remains in the Allen family to this day. Oh. Over the years, it was driven by various members of the Allen family. And it didn't really seem to hurt them. It was fairly peaceful with them, except occasionally when they were driving at high speeds down the highway, the doors would fly open. Well, that's terrifying. But it never hurt any of the Allen family members. <laughs> but because you've already humanized the car mm-hmm. already, I picture it because it's going at high speeds. <laughs> Maybe it flew its doors open and was going, wee! <laughs> <laughs> sure. But an evil, sinister kind of wee. Right, like wee, wee. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> So the Allen family members never met with any, uh, you know, physical harm. Okay. But the doors would fly open and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) But there were several other unsettling events involving this particular vehicle. And most of them happened in the 80s and 90s. It seemed like the 70s were somewhat uneventful for the car. But it's the same family that owns it, right? Yeah, same family. Same family. And, And again, nothing bad happened to them. But in the 80s... There were two teens that were out walking through the neighborhood where the car was parked and they stepped out into oncoming traffic and they were both hit by a car. Now, not the Golden Eagle, not the Golden Eagle, but they were thrown through the air and their bodies landed on the hood of the car. Both of their bodies? Both of them landed on the hood of the car. And before the paramedics could arrive, they had both expired. And so that kind of fed the... uh, the legend. Interesting. So when this happened, you know, word was starting to get around that this car was bad news. And so a group got together and they decided that they were just going to smash the car up. They were going to vandalize it. And so they break into the garage where the uh, car is being kept and they started vandalizing the vehicle until somebody called the cops. The cops showed up. They took off. One of the members of the party that was involved weeks later was struck and killed by lightning. Okay. Many people think it was the car. Well, so far, it just seems like things happened in the vicinity of the car. Uh-huh. And so I'd, I guess I'm not seeing the direct connection to the car so much. Okay. All right. It's just that the car happened to be an innocent bystander. Well, I mean, the car didn't launch out into the street and kill those teenagers and the car doesn't control lightning, right? You don't know. That's true. I don't, I don't know (laughs) that the Dodge Corporation controls lightning. By this point, by the late eighties, the car had been passed down to Wendy Allen. Wendy is the last Allen family member to have the car. And according to Wendy, the Golden Eagle has killed 14 people. Oh, Wendy. But many people dispute that number. They say it's much more. That is not where I thought that sentence was going. No, surprise. (laughs) You thought I was going to zig and I zagged. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the late 1980s, a local church group decided to exercise the demons from the car they attempted to uh, steal it and destroy it. Well, that doesn't seem very churchy. And soon after they attempted to uh, steal the car, they were unsuccessful. But soon after, they were 
riding to some event somewhere and several of the group that was involved were in a vehicle that was struck by an 18 wheeler on, on um, I-95. The majority of them were killed and one of them was decapitated. Oh my goodness. In 2007, a group of kids were hanging out in the neighborhood. The cars parked in the driveway. And of so, course... So I'm sorry uh, to interrupt, but that sometimes the car is parked in the garage and sometimes it's parked in the driveway. And yeah. that's part of what I don't like about this story. <laughs> the inconsistency of one's parking habits. That's right. It's just, it's not precise enough for you. I just feel like the Allens are a family of routine. Really? Well, <laughs> yeah. perhaps it was passed down through the, the family. Different people cared for the car in different ways. Oh, okay, okay. Perhaps when Grandpa Allen had it, he kept it in the garage, mm -hmm. but then uh, sinister forces burned the garage down. And so Wendy has to just park it in the driveway. Did Wendy say that the garage burned down? No. No, no that's just, just... I'm making that up. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, in 2007, a group of kids were hanging out in front of uh, Wendy's house mm -hmm. and the cars parked in the driveway right. again, and uh, they're daring each other to run in and touch the car. Oh, wow. Because word has gotten around, this is a badass car. The Golden Eagle is haunted. So I dare you to touch it. Nuh-uh, you touch it. No, um, there was a person in my neighborhood when I was a kid growing up that everybody thought she was a witch. Mm -hmm. Just because she was a little old lady who lived alone. So, <laughs> witch. Obviously. And uh, we would always try to throw uh, the other person onto her lawn. Because if you touched her lawn, then she'd get you. And so this is kind of what they're doing, right? Now, let me ask you this. Did did the Holton witch lady mm -hmm. ever get anyone? No, no. She's just a little old lady. It seems weird that you continued to say that she would get someone when right. no one had ever been gotten. Right. Yeah. Apparently, we didn't throw them far enough onto the lawn. Oh, that was it was the logistics yeah, of the, the lawn arm, throwing. Arm reach arm's length Got it. transaction. Got it. So anyway, one of the teenagers finally takes the dare and he runs into the yard and he touches the car. A few weeks later, for no reason, he just burns his family's house down. That was Well, I mean, he's got so little going on in his life. His weekly high point is touching a car. Yeah. It sounds like he was a hooligan anyway. Well, in Old Orchard, the uh, annual car touching festival is a big draw. Didn't you do a contest like that once where you had to like keep your hand on a car or something? Yeah, some stupid radio thing we did and and it almost killed a guy. He wanted that car so bad. Was that car haunted? If it wasn't, then it is now because he passed out and hit his head on the fender. Did um did he win the car? No. Oh, no. that's sad. No, no. Apparently, it was written in the rules that dehydration was not an excuse for taking your hands off the car. Got it. So anyway, soon after the car touching incident, um, <laughs> another teen was uh, struck by a car in the neighborhood and landed right next to the Golden Eagle. Not on at this time, but right next to it. It seems like maybe there's a problem with that intersection. <laughs> Might be the issue. In or around the year 2010, a different church group decided that they were going to stop the Golden Eagle's reign of terror. The group succeeded this time in stealing the car from Allen's parking lot, and they chopped it up into pieces, and then they spread the pieces around to different junkyards. Doesn't it seem like you're just haunting a bunch of different junkyards? I don't know if they thought that through. 
Now, when that happened, Wendy was devastated. Well, it was her thing. Yeah. And that's not yours to steal. She had had the car in the family for, for decades. And yeah, it had a sordid past. But she had a sentimental connection to this car because right. her grandfather owned it or she something. She loved the murder car. It really wasn't a car she drove a lot, but she did value it for those reasons. So she posted online about what happened. And a bunch of people uh, in the area who either owned the junkyards or people who knew the people who owned the junkyards, they rallied to her support, and most of the parts of the Golden Eagle were found and retrieved. Oh, that's nice. Now, See, that's Maine. She probably made them some canned beets for their help. Right, or dilly beans. There's no word on whether she's tried to rebuild the car, and if she has where it is, uh, she's keeping that information to herself. Well, I would too if people kept trying to ruin my stuff. Along with the car's dark history, Wendy Allen also suspects that uh, the local church group has specifically targeted her because of her interest in the occult. She's referred to as the, quote, sea witch of Old Orchard Beach. And according to her, they've spread rumors that she used the car to cast death spells. Uh, she, of course, denies these statements. And even though Wendy says that, uh, you know, she has a sentimental connection and, and clearly an affection for this car, even she says there's something sinister about the car. She wouldn't say when the last time she took the car out for a drive was. She said when she did, the doors randomly flew open and the seatbelt unbuckled. And then the steering wheel jammed. So probably she's just parked it. I'm not sure where the car is right now. No one really seems to know. There's very little concrete evidence for all of these claims, clearly. <laughs> but if you believe the stories that have piled up over the years, this car, which does in fact exist is responsible, well, the body counts at 32. Sure. 32 people. Yeah, that a, seems. According, let the bodies hit the floor boards of the Golden Eagle. Oh, no. Dodge 1963 330 limited edition. Oof. And now, that thing in the middle. Tokyo resident Sogen Kato was thought to be the city's oldest citizen. He was born in 1899 and lived well into the 21st century. Local officials decided to give him an award on Respect for Senior Citizens Day, so they went to his house to inform him. When they got there, they made a grisly find. Sogen Kato's mummified body just lying in his bed. He had been dead for decades. Kato's family was prosecuted for collecting his benefits for those decades without telling authorities of his passing. Between you and me, the curator fell asleep during that first story. Not the first time that's happened. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Got this email came in a day or so ago. My name is Bambi, for real. I have a dog named Scribbles, and he's the cutest. 
She goes on to say she's been binging and she just listened to uh, the episode where we talked about random words that were used by families to describe things, little family inside joke kind of things. Mm -hmm. She said, us kids always thought the gear shift in a car was called a pernundle. My oldest sister was horrified during her driving test as a teen when the guy asked her what the fuck she was talking about. <laughs> I call it a pernundle to this day. It will always be a pernundle. P-R-N-D-L. Thanks, Mom. I love it. Park reverse neutral. That's hilarious. I read this to you in the car uh, just today, <laughs> and uh, we've already worked that into the conversation twice. It's now pernundle. You keep knocking my pernundle into first. <laughs> yes, I And do. that's yeah. not acceptable. Yeah. I have pernundle knee. I'll have that looked at. What you got for me, love? <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, one of the things that I'm very concerned about having moved is finding a new place to get all my stuff done. Um, so I've got to find a new hairstylist and I've got to find a new place where I can get my nails done. Right. And um, I was looking through some of the options available for one of the spas and uh, they had several eyelash options. And it got me to thinking, what does the history of eyelash alterations look like? Oh, throughout it, history. Throughout history. And it turns out there is a long and storied history of eyelash fuckery. Well, I would think that it was, you know, based on like hieroglyphs and pictures, pictograph pictoglyphs that I've seen. Ancient Egypt was way into uh Eye makeup of all sorts. Of all sorts. For sure. The ancient Egyptians did use ointments and uh, various types of brushes to achieve a fluttery kind of fanned out eyelash look. They used coal and malachite to darken the lashes. And in ancient Egypt, men often would use more lash serums than females would uh, because they were out working in the hot sun and they thought it protected their eyes oh. from glare and from from the sun's rays. So is that how it evolved in the Egyptian culture or is j that's just something they did? Well, it was also pretty. Well, yeah, you, you know, you want to look pretty when you're chipping away at granite blocks. That's right. And it worked out because uh, Galena, one of the components that was used as an eye cosmetic, was also an effective insect repellent <laughs> and a disinfectant. So they thought it was really kind of multi-purpose. Several coal pots were found in tombs during archaeological excavations, including Tutankhamun's in Thebes. Coal pot would be a great name for a metal band. Oh, you're right. Thursday night. It's Coal Pot with special guest Lion to the Dying. I went to a Coal Pot show in the 90s, but uh, I forgot my ticket, so I had to sleep in the car. JK, that was Coal Chamber. Oh, well. Anyway, in ancient Rome, eyelashes were a very important feature to represent femininity. So Roman women uh, had these lashes that were supposed to be very long, thick, and curly. Pliny the Elder wrote that eyelashes fell out from excessive sex. So it was especially <laughs> important for women to keep their eyelashes long to prove their chastity. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. He predicted that having lengthy eyelashes was the result of maintaining a moral lifestyle. 
And people believe this shit. Yeah, people bought into that for, wow. for sure. Wow. Did he have stock in the eye makeup industry? Maybe. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that worked the out. ancient Egyptian makeup industry. Now, this did shift as Christianity started to take over, and Christian women tried to avoid cosmetics because they believed that a natural appearance was more pleasant to God, and luxury and cosmetics and such weren't part of that whole thing. You know, the, their their focus should have been on serving God rather than their personal appearance, their vanity, and so on and so forth. Plus, you don't want to get eye makeup in your eye when you're stealing a car. <laughs> in fact, during the medieval period, <laughs> They rarely would see any sort of eyelash um, accoutrement. Um, in fact, the forehead was considered to be the most beautiful part of the face. So that was to be showcased. So in many cases, eyelashes and eyebrows would be removed entirely, which wow. was a sassy look. Wow. And if you look back in some of the, the art from that period, you'll see a lot of very prominent foreheads. Mm. I am into, I'm just saying. I think it depends on the shape of one's head. You know, for, if, if I were to do it, I think I'd look just like a big fat beach ball. No. That somebody let a little bit of air out of. No, you've got a nice shaped head. You don't know. I, I have this lush mane of hair. You don't know. You don't know what my head looks like. When Queen Elizabeth took the throne, she made red hair very fashionable. And that included eyelashes. So people across the country started to dye their hair and their eyelashes to match. Um, however, it was very toxic chemicals that they were using, oh. so it didn't work out very well. There was a lot of hair loss and such, um, mm. so don't do that. Maybe that's how the, how the whole high forehead thing began. No, this was later on. Queen Victoria, also uh, very into eyelashes. <laughs> Eugene Rimmel was a perfumer for Queen Victoria from Rimmel Cosmetics. He was working with Queen Victoria's eyelashes and enhancing them using coal dust and Vaseline jelly. It really wasn't that different from <laughs> what the people were making at home, mm. but uh, it was for the queen, so it was better, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, people were way into that at that time. Once the queen started using this Rimmel eyelash enhancer, it was all the rage. Now, in the 1800s, of course, we are loving these lush lashes, right? And so some people were getting this uh, great idea of gluing human hair to their eyelids. <laughs> and it wasn't as successful as you might think because it, eyelids don't like glue. Also, the lashes were often just falling off, which was a real bummer because you were putting all this effort into adding this lushness to your lash line, and then they're just falling out, which sucks. And I imagine if they were doing it that way, it looked like you had like two whisk brooms taped to your head. It may have. So some people came up with this better idea of threading the lashes directly into your eyelids. Now let's talk about that for a bit. Mm. 
There was an 18... This is going to make me queasy, isn't it? There was an 1899 newspaper article about eyelash extensions. And let's just quote that, shall we? An ordinary fine needle is threaded with a long hair. Nope. Generally taken from the head of the person being operated on. The lower border of the eyelid is then thoroughly cleaned. Please. And in order that the process may be as painless as possible, rubbed with a solution of cocaine. The operator then, by a few skillful touches, runs his needle through the extreme edges of the eyelid between the epidermis and the lower border of the cartilage. The needle passes in and out along the edge of the lid, leaving its hair thread in loops of carefully graduated length. All of that sounds horrible. I mean, except for the cocaine part, all of that sounds horrible. So is it like one long strand of hair that they sew back and forth and then will snip the loops? See, I thought that too, but it doesn't say anything about snipping the loops. It just says in loops. Hmm. So I can't find anything about how they might look, make them look like lashes and not like eyelets of yeah, some sort. Right. Yeah, we, we, it'd be like you had like a couple of doilies on your eyelid. Doilies are pretty. Yeah, but again, it affects one's field of vision when they're, you're stealing a car. That's true. Also, probably having a needle jammed into your eye uh, would affect your vision, but... <sighs> Hey, anyway, in 1911, according to Business Insider, a Canadian woman named Anna Taylor first patented artificial lashes uh, that didn't involve needlework and your eyelid. (laughs) Um, She used a crescent of fabric implanted with itty-bitty hairs. And then in 1915, Carl Nessler, who was a hairdresser known for his weaves, he opened a salon that sold lash services, which, you know, included these false eyelashes. According to the New York Times, one of the selling points of these false eyelashes were to guard against the glare of electric lights. Okay. Well, you got to roll with the changes, That's right. But it wasn't until 1916 when falsies became truly popular. There was a Hollywood director named D.W. Griffith, and he was directing a movie called Intolerance with an actress named Cena Owen. Now, reportedly, Griffith wanted Owen's eyelashes to be, quote, supernatural, and he ordered the film's wig maker to glue lashes made of human hair onto Owen's own eyelids using spirit gum. Now, it was very lucky that most of the important scenes of the movie had already been shot because when they decided to go this route, um, her eyeballs uh, reacted very poorly and her eyes just were all swollen shut. Well, spirit gum. Have you ever like chewed like spearmint gum and a little bit of the gum juice gets down in your uh, in your airway mm-hmm. and then you cough uncontrollably until they throw you off the bus? No. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. It's <laughs> not spearmint gum, it's spirit gum. I've heard it both ways. Anyway, in 1947, the Aylett brothers, makeup artists to the film industry, formed a company called Eyelure. And this was one of the first known companies to manufacture the false lashes that we know and love today that, again, do not involve jamming a needle in your eyeball. And I applaud that. Anytime I can avoid putting needles or 
even shrimp forks, anything right. pointy in my eyes, I... I, I do my best to uh, to avoid that. <laughs> so I thought that that was really interesting. I had no idea about the sewing of the mm. hair onto eyelids Holy crap. Uh, phase of our eyelash history. Boy, that that is some dedication to one's beauty regimen. I guess so. Or just stupidity. I'm not really sure there's a fine line there. Isn't it interesting, though, that when you look back over history, there are certain parts of the body that we want lush, full hair on, mm -hmm. but never armpits? Or am I wrong? Is there somewhere in history or perhaps some culture where armpit hair is valued? Well, I don't know. I mean, I know that it's becoming more valued in today's society because it's becoming much more normalized to have body sure, hair, sure, sure. Um, which I appreciate. Um, I'm still dealing with it feeling weird uh, when I have armpit hair, but every once in a while I let it grow out a little bit and, you know, see see how it works out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I usually end up shaving it pretty quickly, but um, I tr I've tried it, you know, I try it a little bit at a time, see if I can, if I can eliminate one more thing mm -hmm. I have to do sure. from my routine, I'm going to. So I'm going to keep trying. Let me just tell you how much I am um, impressed with your stick to when it comes to underarm shaving. Uh, I lost a bet one time mm -hmm. and had to shave my armpits. Yeah. And I couldn't put my arms down for like a week. And people say, well, you know, you keep doing it, though, and your body gets used to it and doesn't get all rashy like that. Yeah. Um, no, no, <laughs> I'm not. Well, here's the thing is that I dry shave my armpits. And that's something that I know most people couldn't couldn't do at all. And I don't I don't know why I can. But I just. Yeah. Yeah. I don't use shaving cream or anything like that. I just throw the old razor over it and go. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know why my armpits allow that and some don't. I don't know. That's another thing I love about Kat is this uh, spirit of danger that's always around her. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Thanks. Speaking of armpit hair, um, we turned off the uh, air conditioner Mm. Uh, so that it wouldn't be real noisy. And now my armpit hair is soaking wet. Oh, no. So we need to wrap this up. But <laughs> did want to say thanks for hanging out with us. If it's not a blanket fort, it's the air conditioner yep. being off. Yep. You're always hot. I am. Even though we're not completely, well, not even slightly settled here in Orlando. We are looking forward to getting out onto the road, doing a, a live show in New York. We've held off on booking other shows for now, but we're still going to do that one. And if you can't make the show live, it is being streamed live as well. So you can be there virtually. Yeah. Get all the details at theboxofoddities.com or you can find the link and information at the Caveat website. As always, thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And you fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Did you like how I said that? It was like I really, I owned it. I thought you were going to call them hairy freaks or sweaty freaks. Just you came at it with such intention. I was waiting for a some sort of joke. Some hairy, sweaty. No, no, no I was just... Uh, just saying things. No, I think you said things great. I love how you say things. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate 
is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2021 All rights reserved Hi, I'm Neil And I'm Ken And we are from the Triviality Podcast a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.